If you are here for the first time, we would love to give you a little bit of information about the church. So if, if that's you, if you'd pop your hand in the air with me, somebody is going to bring you around some info. So if, you'd, if you're here for the first time, give us a wave. Hi, nice to see you. Thanks for coming. Hope you have a great time with us. And if you've all been here before, give me a wave. Hi. And then there's lots of people who don't know. They don't quite know what happened. They just find themselves in a seat and they think they've been before. It seems familiar. Um, Okay, I've just gone totally off-piste. Oh, yeah, we have an area over here uh, called the Connect Lounge. So if you, if you are new, if you'd like to just meet some of the team, then please come over there at the end. And if, you're, if you need a place to connect, if you're feeling, I'm a bit isolated, it's a big church, and I feel a bit lost, then please come over there. People would love to get you connected. If you don't get connected at a smaller, more intimate level, it's very hard in a church of this size. So please take the bold step of doing it. If you're nervous, ask the person next to you to come with you um, to, the, to the front, or let's all of us keep our eyes open and make everyone feel very welcome here. Um, Vision Sunday we had at the, at the start of October, and I'm very excited to give you the running total so far of, of what was given. Isn't that exciting? Um, I don't, yeah, I didn't know if there was a slide there. Maybe there may not, but I can tell you so far, not including the pledges that you guys gave, we have £28,365.17p. Thank you very much. Thank you, God, for your amazing provision to us. That is incredible. And God always provides everything we need. One day we're going to need to say, and the vision offering total is 4,200,000. That's going to happen when we need a building. But for the time being, God knows we need £28,365 to fulfill what he's given us so far. And that is amazing. God is so faithful and we always, always, always look to him for our resources, not to each other. Um, the men's trip to the Lake District. I want to give you an update on that. Last year, or earlier this year, sorry, in May, we went to... Once the baby handover has happened, it'll probably happen to me, Eddie. Um, let me introduce our incredible speaker for the morning. Um, I know that she's amazing, not just when she's here, but at home too, because I have the privilege of being married to her. And uh, Nikki is an incredible leader. Um, anybody who actually rubs up alongside us two in our leadership role know that in most decisions, I'm like, you better ask Nikki. I mean, people know it very quickly that this is the brains behind most of the vision that goes on. And I just stand here and smile. Okay, now I've made this all about me. Thank you, exactly as I asked you to. I am a wonderful leader and I'm glad to be here today. <laughs> okay. I'm sorry for what I said. I break the power of those words off my life. I'm not having that rubbish. I'm a great leader, but Nikki is a brilliant leader too. And more to the point, she's speaking, so come up here and save me. Right. Ah, oh, that's very funny. Thank you, because I agree with you. Pete is a fantastic leader, and I'm definitely not the brains behind everything. That's for sure. Um, Good morning, church. Hello. Welcome. It's lovely to see you today. We are starting a brand new theme for November, and I'm really excited to be unlocking this for you. It's been a very interesting journey prepping this message this week. I mean, it, it generally is, because most of the time when you are about to share something, 
God encourages you to live it. And sometimes that's over a matter of months, years. And other times it's during the course of the week. And so I wrote this message and then I deconstructed it. And I tied myself, myself into theological knots. So much so that yesterday I had to ring the lovely Matt White and say, Matt, I'm really confused about lots of things. I've tied myself in knots. Can we just talk this through? And then I text my friend Lucy Pepiat, who's a theologian, and she wrote back and said, I think you need a Bible scholar for that. I'm like, that's what you are. Uh, so it was really funny. Um, and in the end, after about three hours yesterday, having constructed, deconstructed, and then was in the process of looking at the sort of bare bones of everything I wanted to share, I rang Pete. And he very wisely said, why don't you just down tools for an hour and just do something totally different? And I'm sure it will all come together. And I was like, I haven't got much time for it to come together. It's getting a little bit close to the mark now. But I took his advice and I'm so glad I did because this is what happened. I decided as one frazzled mama to go and have my nails done. And so I thought that's a really nice way since Pete had taken the girls out just to give me a little bit of space and time and he had encouraged me to take a little bit of space and time. I thought that's a good way to just, you know, detox, do something totally different. So there I was and I'm chatting to the nail technician and she started to talk about Christmas because obviously the high street was really busy and um, she said, oh, so, you know, are you all prepped and ready to go for Christmas? And I kind of gave her that look, which I often give people when they ask me that question, even a lot closer to Christmas, which is, no, I haven't even started yet. And uh, she said, oh, you know, it's just so busy down here. Everybody's getting their stuff ready. Um, and, and I just said to her, well, you know, I'm really prepared for Christmas in one area of my life, which is my work. But in my own personal life, actually, I don't like doing my Christmas shopping too early because, to be honest, I feel like sometimes all of the commercialism just, it robs us a bit of the true meaning of Christmas. She sort of looked at me like this. She went, oh, okay. Well, she said, well, for me, the meaning of Christmas is, you know, my husband gets a bit more time off work. Um, we get family time. We eat well. We celebrate together. What's the meaning of Christmas for you then? So I said, well, it's all of those things. Like, I love all of those things. But actually, um, I'm a Christian. And for me, you know, and I, and I began to share the fact that for me, Christmas is about celebrating a God who loved us so much that he was willing to embrace our shame and our pain and our chaos and become one of us. Um, that he left the majesty of heaven and came as a, a tiny baby and how that blew my mind so that I could know him. And she's, like, by this point, she's kind of just, she's leaning in a bit. And this is what she said to me. I have been in this country for 18 years. I'm a Muslim. And I have never heard one person explain to me why you celebrate Christmas. Wow. I mean, just wow. So anyway, conversation continues, and we talk about a few other things. And, and then she says to me, I'm like the worst advert for, for, for a nail technician because I don't wear nail varnish. And I said, oh, that is funny. Why don't you? And she said, well, because I, I'm a Muslim and we pray. And I said, oh, okay. So, like, does it get chipped? Or, like, what, what's, what's the reason? She said, no, it's because we, 
we have cleansing rituals, and actually um, it's really important that the water touches the nail bed. So I thought that was fascinating, and I'm asking her more questions, and she says, Why, how do you go about praying then? So I tell her that we can pray anytime, anywhere, that God's accessible, that you know, I could pray in the car, I can definitely wear nail varnish, I wear makeup when I pray. But I also said to her that I love, love, love um, the idea of the cleansing rituals because actually, because of the freedom that we enjoy, sometimes our heart that gets neglected. And so that's an outward sign that could remind you that it's really important that your heart posture's right. And so we're just finding some commonality in our stories. And she's going, oh, that really resonates with me because actually, like, at the core of Islam, it's all about um, intentions, the intention of your heart. So we talk about that. And then she says... So did you grow up religious? And I said, oh, I don't really like the word religious. Uh, so we talked about that. And um, I said, no, no, I didn't grow up in a Christian home, actually. Faith wasn't a massive part of my life. We occasionally went to church, but, you know, that's, that's pretty much it. Um, but I had an encounter with God when I was 14. And it changed my life. It's, it's a really long story, but, yeah, that's, that's what happened. She went, if I'm not being impertinent, would you mind sharing your story We've got time. So I begin to share my story. And, I, you know, she just, we just open up. We just had a really lovely conversation. And I was equally enriched, I'd like to say, by the conversation that transpired. It wasn't that I felt like I was giving her all the answers. It wasn't that. But as I left, she said to me again, I just can't believe it. I have sat with so many women in front of me here and I have never met someone like you who has told me that they're a person of faith. I didn't know that in this country they existed. All of this to say, church, that as we unpack our new theme about the power of parables today, I feel so challenged, so, so challenged that actually... There is this call, this clarion call going out to us as men and women of faith today to become storytellers for our generation. That actually there are people who would love to hear our story if only we felt able to be brave enough to be naturally supernatural and tell it. We don't tell our story enough, do we? There's a beautiful quote um, this is not working up here for some reason. Let's just see if we can get some connectivity. Is it? Is it behind me? No, that's not what I'm after. I can't see up here. Okay, I'm just going to read you the quote for now. Um, there's a beautiful quote from Steve Jobs, who's the co-founder, was the co-founder of Apple. Um, and I think that this kind of... If we want to understand about the power of story, this quote really, really sums that up. He says this, the most powerful person in the world is the storyteller. The storytellers set the vision, values, and agenda for an entire generation that is to come. Wow, that's such a profound quote. The storyteller sets the vision, values, and agenda for an entire generation that is to come. Now, this is a guy who would know, because actually Apple technology has changed the face of our generation, hasn't it? The way that we engage with technology, the way that we engage with the world, with one another, they have been absolutely 
absolutely pivotal and instrumental in that. And if you know anything about advertising or marketing, you will know that there's loads of research that's been done about the fact that logic alone will not lead you to buy a product. Our emotion is involved too, whether we realize it or whether we don't. Story sells. Think about the kind of newspapers that tend to fly off the shelves. Think about the kind of headlines that tend to cause a newspaper to fly off the shelf. We want to buy into somebody's life. We want to buy into their story. Several years ago now, Peter and I went to visit my dad in France, and my dad loved wine, and he lived in France. And one of the first things that he'd set up for us as we got off the plane, it's a hard life, but someone had to do it, was to go and visit a vineyard nearby and do some wine tasting. And this was a really fascinating thing, because as part of the wine tasting, we met the couple who owned the vineyard, and they were an English couple. And in fact, they'd been in the city, and they had really, really fast-paced jobs. And long story short, um, they, they were living at such a massive high-octane level of stress uh, that the doctor advised them to geographically move. Um, and there's loads of reasons behind that. They were looking for breakthrough in a certain area of their lives, and they weren't seeing it, and there was no medical reason that the doctor could find. And he said, I just think, you guys, you're too stressed. You need to move. And so they moved to France and with the money that they had saved from their careers they decided to buy a vineyard they knew nothing about wine apart from the fact they enjoyed drinking it which I suppose is a reasonable place to start um, and so they employed um, a guy to kind of oversee the vineyard and to help them develop stuff and they began to tell their story and we were really really intrigued by their story and some of the things that had happened subsequently Fast forward to a couple of years later, Pete and I were sitting in Loch Fine in Chelmsford and we saw their wine on the wine list. What do you think we did? We bought it. Why? Because we bought into their story. We felt like we knew them. We, we recognized the name. We knew where it had come from. We'd seen their faces and we wanted to invest into their business. We thought, wow, that's amazing. I'm seeing this on the wine list. Story sells. The first question I love to ask when I sit with anyone, and if you've ever sat around a dinner table with me and I've wanted to get to know you better, you will know I have a lot of questions because I really love to get to know people. So I'll probably say, what's your story? Or if I'm sitting with a couple, I'll say, how did you meet? Come on, tell me the his and hers of how you fell in love. Um, you know, you can't listen to someone's story and remain indifferent about them. Story evokes a response. To get to know someone better, gives you a better idea of whether you really want to pursue a friendship with them or whether you don't. So when we look at parables today, I want to ask the question, how are we going to set the vision, values, and agenda for an entire generation to come? Because actually you and I, we hold the greatest story ever told. We hold that story in our hearts, and each of us, the reason that we're here today is because our lives intersect as a result of that story. This is where our communal stories merge. Jesus, he changed our lives in some way, shape, or form. Or maybe he's about to change our life in some way, shape, or form. So why did Jesus tell parables? I'd like to demonstrate that this morning. 
I'm going to make myself vulnerable. This, this, I, I liken this to standing in front of you in my pyjamas, which I'm very glad I'm not. But on an emotional and personal level, this comes close. Here's a statement about my life. True fact, piece of information for those of you who don't really know me. Okay, take a read. And think about what it tells you. And now have a listen to a song that I wrote when I was 14 as I was processing that time in my life. He says the love has gone and he can't carry on. She's trying to be strong, but deep inside she's torn, wondering what went wrong. The baby just won't eat, cries itself to sleep, and all she does is weep. How can she repeat that daddy won't be home? It's clear to see where it ended. No one knows where it starts. So many innocent victims trapped inside. The web of broken hearts She's reminiscing of A pure unselfish love She's longing for the day When he would softly say Baby, you're the one Misplaced over the years The love to turn to tears What happened to the pledge To cherish and respect It slowly disappeared And Stranded, her world has fallen apart. She's just another statistic trapped inside the way. Hey.
such that their love would fade away. It's clear to see where it ended. No one knows where it starts. So many So, you tell me, which one helped you connect more with that statement? You see, we can give people information until the cows come home. We can give them the facts. We can give them truth academically. But there's something about our story that draws them in. There's something about story that causes my humanity and your humanity to interweave. And what was an incredibly vulnerable moment for me, that I sat at the piano and wrote that at a very young age. And for those of you who have ever been through um, relationship breakdown in any way, shape or form, whether you were a casualty of that as a child or whether you've been through or are going through that now, you will be able to relate massively. And if you haven't been through that, you have an illumination all of a sudden of something maybe that you haven't experienced, the emotion, the fallout, the carnage, the questions, the disappointment, the struggle. I think that's probably why Jesus used parables. You see, stories connect. They build relationship. Think about your deepest relationships. Think about your deepest friendships. They rely on mutual experience, on common ground. Stories of life moments shared together. Some are funny. Some are poignant. I know that with some of my best friends, we have long-standing jokes that nobody else would get. We have little names that we might call each other that have been developed over time. But I've also been able to sit and cry on their couch with no need for understanding. There are some frustrating moments that we've probably shared, some conflict. Shared story is where relationship is forged. But stories also engage. They draw us in. Our attention and our interest are piqued when we hear a good story. Jesus knows this about us. I think it's the way he wired us and designed us. Stories help us access really difficult concepts or ideas. We can all think back to a teacher that we had at school who made difficult things appear so much more simple by telling story. It makes us think. It provides a talking point. It captures both our intellect and our imagination. Stories illuminate and reveal they make God and the kingdom less abstract and more accessible for those who will perceive. Everyone can hear the truth, but not everyone will perceive it. Matthew 13, verses 10 to 17 says this. 
the disciples came to him, that's Jesus, and asked, why do you speak to the people in parables? He replied, because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. There's this sense in which Jesus used these stories because he knew that the disciples had been given. He was, he's been giving them this treasure. But there, there are all these crowds following Jesus and they don't have that revelation yet. They don't have the secrets of the kingdom. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand gosh, isn't that like you or me? How many times have we sat in church or in a Bible study or even just sat reading the Bible on our own? And there are just moments where, you know, we can see the words in black and white, but we don't always get what they mean, do they? I mean, do we? I really hope I'm not alone in that. Parables reveal the secrets of the kingdom. They make it visible for those who have eyes to see. And I don't know about you, but in terms of the fiction that I enjoy reading, I think that the best stories often evoke questions rather than answering them. I love stories that contain mystery. And that's what I love about the parables because actually the parables are wide open to interpretation. It's not Jesus saying, this is what you must believe. He's telling story to illuminate truth, but it's up for us to dig deep and to discover there's going to be more from this on Matt in a couple of weeks' time. Really excited for that. Um, he's going to delve into that side of the openness to interpretation and go deeper. Today, I'm giving us a broad brushstroke overview. Stories are memorable, and they're easily retold, aren't they? When you hear a great story, it becomes part of you. And it was part of the Jewish culture, oral tradition. The passing down of stories was a really, really important part of Jewish culture and heritage. Jesus knows that. He's using that. But maybe where he differs is that he uses such concrete examples. He uses things that people can relate to. That's what makes them memorable, that straight away people can place themselves inside that story. We were talking about this, Pete and I, and Pete said, I, I wonder if when people from the crowd who'd been listening to Jesus went home and whoever wasn't there said, okay, so what did Jesus say today? Whether actually they were able then to retell because they could remember the story. Ah, oh, you know, he said something about mustard today. Or, ah, oh, he was talking about... Um, this two sons and a father. Um, could, Tom, could you just take the reverb off my voice, please? It's a bit unnerving in the monitor. Thank you very much. Um, so stories are memorable. They're easy to retell. And one of the best examples for me of that is our name, Skylark. I know, love it or hate it, it's a bit like Marmite, but the bottom line is this, when people ask why we have that name and you start to tell them the story of the encounter that we had at the top of that hill in Scotland, they're captivated, they get it. I remember talking to my mum who, you know, doesn't tend to go to church and I wanted to kind of test the water with changing the name with somebody who knew nothing about church. And I expected her to be fairly negative. My mom doesn't naturally like change. So I said, oh, what do you think, mom? You know, Christian Growth Center, we're thinking of renaming a Skylark Church, and here's the story. And she just went, oh, I totally get it. I love it. It makes perfect sense to me. And I thought, well, that's great. You're a good litmus test, because actually you're the kind of person that we're looking to draw into our midst. 
Stories are memorable. They can be easily retold. And great stories transcend cultural or historical context, don't they? The best stories appeal to our common humanity. Those are the ones that stand the test of time. Um, And I think that the parables are really great examples of that. You know, think about the parable of the prodigal son, the story of the prodigal son, or actually, more aptly, the two sons, because it's really about two sons, isn't it? Actually, it's timeless. There's something so timeless about that, that even though that there are beautiful nuances that we can understand more when we appreciate the context and history and political climate of the day, actually it stands alone. It, it stood the test of time. People are still telling that story now. Stories make difficult concepts or ideas accessible. And Jesus' stories, his parables, they provoked a response. Whether it was love him, hate him, pursue him, dig deeper, walk away, that choice remained with the hearer. True seekers would discover some of the gems contained within his stories. So who did he use the parables for? How did Jesus tell stories? Well, approximately a third of Jesus' teaching was parables. He used them to teach the crowds. And he also gave extra explanation to the committed, to his disciples. He sometimes used parables to answer questions from his disciples or from religious leaders trying to trick him. The parables were for anyone, and they were for everyone. But the more I've looked into this, the more I appreciate the absolute genius of Jesus' storytelling. He was the ultimate storyteller. I studied French literature at university, so I love stories, even in other languages. And the more I looked into this, the more I tied myself up in knots because it's not easy to explain to you everything about the parables. There's this natural intrigue and mystery that defies explanation, that defies definition. And I'm going to call it the paradox of the parables because, you see, on the one hand, they are beautifully simple. They're so easy to understand at surface level. And yet, at another level, they are entirely profound. There's this multi-layering in there. There's always more depth to be found. The treasures and the secrets, as Jesus said, of the kingdom of heaven are contained within the parables. But not everyone will unearth that treasure because not everyone will dig deeper to uncover it. That's amazing. So there's this simplicity that a wide cross-section of people were and are impacted by the parables. But the degree to which we will be impacted is down to us searching out the gems of truth. The parables are both accessible and unfathomable. There's this mysterious edge. Mark 4 verses 33 to 34 says this, With many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as much as they could understand. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. He was pretty sold on this as a form of teaching. But when he was alone with his disciples, he explained everything. Prayer, forgiveness, judgment, parenthood, outlined in a way that makes it tangible and easy to access. Yet within each story, secrets and treasure, clues given to encourage the listener to dig deeper and unearth them. 
You can tell it's there because Jesus had to do more explaining with his own disciples privately. So whilst everybody would have related to and understand what Jesus was saying, there's, there's this profound facet of God's nature or a profound truth about the kingdom of heaven or actually more than one. As much as they could understand, I think that's a key, isn't it? The parable kind of meets you where you're at, but entices you to go further. There's always more to discover for those who lean in closely. And I wrestled with this because I was like, well, does that mean that Jesus is deliberately excluding people? Why does he just give the greater explanation to his disciples? And the only conclusion I can come to is that proximity and heart posture makes the difference. You see, Jesus explained everything to his disciples because they wanted to be close. They wanted to know. They were asking the question. The difference in understanding a little and getting full uh, revelation is being committed to follow him, to seeking him, to asking more questions. And that's great news for us today. If you've come with a million and one questions about God, then that is exactly where you should be. If you're sitting there today and you feel like you haven't changed your view of Christianity in all the time you've known Jesus, you've got a problem. You've got a problem because we are designed to be seekers and there's so much more for us to find. Proximity and heart posture make the difference. Question. Are we comfortable with mystery? Or do we always want to be given a definitive answer? Are we comfortable with a God who wants us to search for and uncover truth? That's part of discipleship. Are we willing to search for and uncover his truth, his kingdom, his presence? There's this unfolding revelation. The only way that I can really illustrate that in my own life is taking the parable of, of the two sons and the, and the amazing, gracious father. When I became a Christian, I had such a radical conversion experience. It was like night and day. And I identified wholeheartedly with the wayward son coming back and this experience of, oh, understanding God's love for me as a dad. It was amazing. But fast forward several years of serving in the house and being committed and on rotors in church, all of a sudden, I could see myself dangerously teetering on the brink of identifying so much more with the indignant older son who couldn't deal with the freedom that, and the grace that was so lavishly extended to the wayward son. And I, I could see myself there and I felt uncomfortable about that because I'd started over here. Fast forward to several years later when I became a mum. I began to identify with the heartbreak of this dad where his son comes and is like, Dad, you know, basically... I'm done. I, I'm dishonoring you. I, I'm turning my back on you. Give me what's mine and I'm off. My heart's breaking for that. But also, my heart's breaking for the fact that the other son has lived all his life in, in close proximity to his dad, but he's missed the essence of his love and his kindness. He's never lived in the fullness of what was his to enjoy. Wow! multi-layered. And guess what? In a few years' time, I'll be able to tell you something else that I've uncovered from that parable. They are meant to be this like voyage of discovery, this unfolding truth. I'm sure that right now you can identify with some of what I've said. But the parables are also paradoxical because they connect and divide. 
You see, they connect with our heart. Stories connect with the heart. More than any theological exposition, more than any fact or piece of information, these stories had the capacity to grab the attention of the crowd. You know it because they just followed him everywhere. And yes, I know that they wanted miracles and they wanted all sorts of other things from him. But there was something about his teaching that astounded those who listened. But that which connects the heart, that which connects, i.e. the heart, sorry, is also the thing that ultimately separates the crowd in their response. You see, the state of the heart of the hearer is paramount when it comes to the parables. Those whose hearts are sincerely looking, those whose hearts hunger and thirst for righteousness, those are the ones who would hear and perceive those whose hearts were hard, those who felt they had all the answers already, those who were self-righteous, they would hear, but they'd never find the true gems. They'd miss the treasure. Same truth offered to everyone, but evoked very different responses. Some walked away, some pressed in, some asked more questions and followed. Some were angry, some were moved. And the parables also reveal and conceal. That's a bit weird. Let's think about that. The parables revealed these hidden riches of heaven, the nature of God, his grace, his mercy, hidden keys about prayer, mercy, persistence in prayer, compassion, love, different facets of the kingdom. But to some, those gems would remain concealed. The only way I can really liken this is to a childhood memory that I have that I often tell Pete about because it was the best thing ever when I was about five. I was on the beach with my granddad and my brother and he said, oh, look, take a spade. Why don't you dig for treasure? And we said, oh, we don't think there's going to be any treasure on the beach, granddad. And he was like, go on, just have a go. So we begin to dig. And we didn't know that he had hidden coins not coins of great value, but to us, they were absolutely enormous value. And so we begin to dig. And sure enough, Grandpa, I found 5p. Grandpa, there's 20p. We were so excited, just kept running back to him with all this treasure that we had found. If we had never taken the time to dig, the treasure would still have been there. But it would be concealed from our view. We couldn't see it. We have to take the time to unearth it. So I want to ask us the question as we think about us, you and I, being storytellers for our generation, being those ones who will engage and connect with those around us, share Jesus with those around us, share our story and our lives with those around us. Do we as Christians sometimes place too much focus on information rather than assimilation? I know they're big words, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to break them down. Information, facts provided or learned about someone or something. So that's given to you. It's not necessarily received. Assimilation is the process of taking in and understanding information or ideas so that you can use it as your own. Ha! That's so cool. The absorption of ideas or information so that it becomes part of your foundational knowledge. It becomes a part of you. I wonder if that's what the parables were all about. 
You see, Jesus could have said, God is a good father. Ta-da! That's all the information you need to know, kids. But instead, in Luke 15, 11 to 32, he tells this story about a dad with one selfish, reckless son and one sacrificial, dutiful son, both of whom failed to grasp that their dad was loving, kind, and good in different ways. Knowing truth is not the same as assimilating truth. Jesus depicted a father that not only allowed himself to be entirely dishonored, but also gave him his share of the inheritance early, knowing he would squander it, and then spent every day watching and waiting for him to return home. Not only that, in a culture where that son would have been cut off entirely for his actions, the father runs out to greet him and reinstate him in a lavish display of grace. Information? Assimilation. You see, I suddenly recognize that that son's story is my story. In some way, shape, or form, it becomes mine. Jesus could have said, hey, God's a good shepherd. He's great. But instead, he tells a story about the kind of shepherd that would leave 99 other healthy sheep behind in pursuit of the one stubborn, disobedient, lost, and wayward sheep. The kind of shepherd that would lay its life down for the flock. So what's your story? What's your story? You see, church... I think that the people around us have had enough of us pronouncing statements about what we believe. I think they probably know what we stand for on all of the major issues. I think they need to know our story. I think they need to know the richness of our life experience. I think they need to know the brokenness. I think they need to know that the fact that we're still seeking, that we don't have all the answers. I think they need to know that we found a love that has changed our lives forever. I think they need to know your story and my story. You see, if what Steve Jobs says is true, and I believe it, how are we going to set the vision, values, and agenda for our generation? What do modern day parables look like? I reckon they look like songs, poems, social media presence, conversations over coffee, spoken word pieces. I love um, Jared Kelly's Twittergies, which are just really small pieces of poetry that he does in like a tiny, um, like on his Twitter feed, which have now become a book. Malcolm Duncan, he's an amazing theologian. I mean, he understands the truth like no one else I know. But he writes this beautiful thing every night on Facebook called Night Blessing. And people connect with it. And each, each evening, he deals with something else that you might be wrestling with, that you just want to lay down before Jesus, before you go to sleep. It's the most incredible way of connecting. There's so many ways that we can tell our story. In fact, our whole life is meant to tell a story. You see, we're called to be salt and light. Matthew 5 says this, you're the salt of the earth, but if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You're the light of the world. A town, city built on a hill cannot be hidden. 
Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. You don't have to even use words to tell your story. That's great news for those of us who really engage through acts of service, through acts of compassion and kindness. Your life is telling a story. You are a modern day walking parable without opening your mouth. So be encouraged. It's not just about using our mouths. The thing about salt, looking at those chips, which makes me feel hungry. Sundays, why do you get so hungry on a Sunday morning? I just get so hungry on a Sunday morning. Anyway, looking at that, salt is designed to be dispersed. If you have too much salt on that chip, it tastes horrible. But if it's evenly dispersed, it just enhances the flavor of the chip. Paul Guthridge used to say it makes it taste more chippy. It increases its chippiness, which is a nice way of remembering it. I've never forgotten it, so there you go. That's the power of parable right there. Um, We're not supposed to overdo it. We're supposed to lead lives that will provoke questions in others. That's simply it, isn't it? Just give them yourself and give them enough that they want to know more. Enough of Jesus that they want to know more. The thing about a city on a hill being the light of the world. It talks of visibility and influence. And I know that that's something that we often feel really uncomfortable with. I definitely do. But when it comes to being bearers of Jesus, when it comes to being people of the kingdom, we are designed for visibility and influence. We're not supposed to keep what we have hidden away. Light is designed to illuminate, to reveal what's hidden. So our lives are supposed to reveal the hidden truth of who God is. There should be gems contained within the core of who we are that other people unearth the more they get to know us. So today, I'm calling the storytellers. The entrepreneurs, the artists, the creatives, the songwriters, the poets, the businessmen and women, the political activists, the prophets, the educators, those in healthcare, wherever you find yourself today, you have a story to share with the world. Your life is a story to the glory of God. Are you willing to tell your story? You see, back to my friend, the nail technician. What if your story is the only time in 18 years that somebody is going to hear a level of truth about who Jesus is? Our vision for this year is to know Jesus, to love him, to follow him, and to share him. Most simply put, to know him and to make him known. Church, it's time to tell our story. Let's stand.
Don't be alarmed. I'm, I'm just waiting for a moment. I'm just, just waiting to hear. Yeah, what I, what I really sense would be great to do today is to commission anyone who feels inspired but somehow inadequate to be a storyteller for this generation. You see, it doesn't have to be on a stage or over the airwaves, as I've already alluded to. It's about being authentic and allowing what he has done in our lives to speak for itself. But there is a level of being intentional somehow too. So if today you feel like, you know what, I want to be a storyteller for those around me, I just want to invite you to come forward. We're not going to do masses, but we're going to commission you today to go out to your workplace, to your families, to your spheres of influences, and to be ready. And we're going to ask God for opportunity this week, tangible opportunity to invite people into the greatest story ever told. If that's you today, would you just make your way forward and we'd love to pray for you. And I just have a sense as well that there are some people here and actually God's already given you vision over your life about how you are to share your story, but it's sitting on a shelf somewhere. Maybe you lost heart. Uh, maybe it just felt too hard. If that's you, please come forward. I just think he wants to meet with you specifically today and encourage you actually. So church, let's pray for these people at the front. Why don't we just stretch out our arms today? Lord, thank you. Thank you for the way in which you use story to engage us, to connect us, and to encourage us to become seekers of your truth. And I pray for each one of these precious people who has stepped forward today to say, I want to be that storyteller for my generation, to set the values, vision, and agenda for my family, for my workplace, for my friends for maybe groups of people that I have not yet met or encountered. I pray right now that you would come and anoint them by the power of your spirit, Lord, for this. That you would do what only you can do. I pray, Lord, for passion to stir in their hearts. I pray for strategies. But more than that, God, we pray for opportunities. Opportunities to share that which we have with others, whether it's using words or whether it's in other creative ways. I pray that you would open up opportunities even this week, God, that we would be amazed, that we would be ready. And I pray for those, Lord, who really have a blueprint of how they're supposed to sh tell their story and maybe just lost courage or lost heart and became discouraged in that, that today you would strengthen and embolden them. Lord, that they would be reminded about the purpose that you've given them.
and the blueprint that you've given them and that they would have confidence in who you've made them to be, that you would commission each and every one to go into this world, to be dispersed like salt, but to be visible like light and to make you accessible to others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks so much. Have a great week, church. We'll see